Our scripture passage this morning is from Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 13. When Jesus heard about John, he withdrew in a boat to a deserted place by himself. When the crowds learned this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When Jesus arrived and saw a large crowd, he had compassion for them and healed those who were sick. That evening, his disciples came and said to him, This is an isolated place, and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, There's no need to send them away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing except five loaves of bread and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. He ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves of bread and the two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed them, and broke the loaves apart and gave them to his disciples. Then the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate until they were full, and they filled twelve baskets with the leftovers. About five thousand men, plus women and children, had eaten. May God's word shape and form us. God is good. All the time. God is good. All the time. We are obsessed with numbers. More specifically, we are obsessed with big numbers. We are obsessed with greatness. We are overly focused on heroes. We are fixated on competence. We are obsessed with our own sense of adequacy or inadequacy. Do I have enough? Am I enough? Do I measure up? Will I be discovered as lacking? And perhaps our obsession with size and the fear of exposure makes us gravitate and cling to the bandwagon, to cling to the winning side, to cling to the large group, lest we be, lest we be the stray weakling away from the herd caught in the jaws of a predator. We like to align ourselves with greatness, to ally with power and strength, to get our memberships to the popular big thing. It is much harder to count ourselves among the miracle few, to be counted out, to be the outsider, the outlier, the misfit, the low probability, the less popular choice, the losers. Uh, When I was in high school, at this time, uh, we were living in Shoreline and I was going to Shorecrest High School. Um, But in the summers, I would like to go to Twin Ponds Park, which is over there by 150th and 1st Avenue Northeast. And uh, they had dunk hoops, full court dunk hoops there. And so it was really fun. They have full court games and we'd like pretend we're NBA players and just cram the ball. And, um, but I would be so bored during the summer that I would walk there. It'd be about five miles from where we lived. And I'd walk there and I'd go really early, like 9 a.m. and just shoot baskets, hoping that eventually more people would come and I'd get to play, pick up basketball. But um, sometimes no one came or just a straggler, one or two people came and all they would see, they'd shoot around for a while and it would just be me and them and everyone's waiting for critical mass, right? For all the people to come so that we could play full court basketball. But after 20 or 30 minutes, people would get tired of shooting around and they'd see just me. That's not enough to start a game. 
And so they'd move on. Well, 10 minutes later, more people would come and I'd be like, oh, if only those other people had stayed, we'd have at least a game of three on three or four on four. And same thing, rinse and repeat. They'd shoot around for a while, but there wouldn't be any critical mass. They'd get bored and they'd leave. And I'd be like, no, just stay. It's going to happen. We play full court here all the time. I would just try to sell a game. And so those days, oftentimes, a full court game would never happen. And I would just walk back home disappointed because I never got to play. And just wishing that everyone who was there had just stayed and we would have a full court game. Um, the funny thing that is that in the economy of the kingdom of heaven, numbers are actually really important as well. But numbers are not important in the kingdom in the intuitive way as we're used to numbers uh, playing a part in our world, in our culture. Um, it's as if God likes the comeback story, right? He likes the Horatio Alger narrative. It's as if God likes to greet his people, his faithful nuns, with, may the odds never be in your favor. <laughs> we see in this passage that numbers do matter to God. There were the five loaves. There were the two fish. There were 12 baskets of leftovers. And in the end, the crowd was numbered as 5,000 men plus the women and the children, had eaten until they were full. But numbers don't matter in the sense of, Dave, how is your church doing? I mean, how many people do you have? When I get together at pastor's meeting, that's like the main question. How's your church doing? And followed by, how big is it? How many people are coming? Uh, what does that have to, in my head, I'm like, what does that have to do with how my church is doing? Right? And I dread answering that question because obviously if I say, oh, 20 to 30 people on a Sunday, they'll say, oh, it's not doing very well. Right? And um, so not in that sense. Right? Numbers don't matter in that sense. They don't matter in as much as they are a measure of the person or markers for determining our competence or worth, a means by which I'm glorified. But they matter in so much as they give glory to the power and abundance of God. Amen. Each and every single detail in this story, the numbers in the story, point to the impossible power of abundance that God gives through Jesus Christ in the feeding of these 5,000. Amen. Right? The insurmountable odds, the so few food that was present in the hands of the disciples, compared to the humongous crowd. Not only were there 5,000 men, which is usually how the ancients counted crowds of people, but the writer adds, and also the women and the children. So you would think triple that number, at least, right? We're 15,000 maybe, who knows? 10,000, 15,000 were fed to the fullest that day. The, the odds were stacked against a meal happening in that situation. And yet God in his power and in his abundance blessed the bread, blessed the fish, and everyone ate. That 
is the power of numbers in the kingdom of heaven where people say, wow, a miracle just happened. And God is amazing. Amen? Amen. So the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. And the retelling of this miracle, besides the resurrection, and the, the retelling of this miracle is a vital part of the Gospel and it conveys some central truths um, about the kingdom of heaven and about the heart of Christ. Justice and compassion are core values in the kingdom of heaven. If I were to ask you, would you, do you think that it is every child's right to have food, to be fed? Would you answer yes? It's every child's right on this earth to have food, to not go hungry, to be fed. That is every child's right. Every child has a right to food. And here in Matthew, we have a contrast in meals. Um, just before this passage, because in verse 13 we hear that when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew. So what is he withdrawing from? He's withdrawing from the news of John's execution. Right before this passage, we learn that Herod had a birthday feast um, for his daughter-in-law slash niece. I say daughter-in-law slash niece because Herod married his brother's widow. So... The widow's daughter is both his niece and now his stepdaughter. Um, so stepdaughter and niece, their birthday celebration. And Herod promises his niece daughter, or stepdaughter, ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Ask me anything you want and I'll give it to you. And Herodias, I think her name was, the wife of Herod, whispers to her daughter, ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. Because John the Baptist had been in prison because he had condemned Herod for, mar- for this marriage, saying that it was unrighteous and not good. And so Herodias did not like this, obviously, did not like John the Baptist. So that's how John the Baptist, to make his long story short, was executed. But what we see in this meal of Herod's this celebration is the epitome of privilege, Right? Privilege says, makes the situation go the way it wants to go, right? Even if you're in the wrong or you're unjust or unrighteous, right? You control the situation so that those that are saying this is unjust or unrighteous or not right are eliminated. And in this situation, John the Baptist is eliminated because he had spoken up against this marriage. And privilege says... I should get what I want, right? In the words of the great pop song, it's my party, right? I can execute someone if I want to, right? I can cry if I want to. Um, That is privilege. But we have a contrast in meals. In the feeding of the 5,000, we see that Jesus has withdrawn. And I think he's withdrawing to a solitary, deserted place because he's mourning. He's mourning the death of his cousin. He's mourning the death of John the Baptist. And he's sad. And he's taking a retreat. But meanwhile, the crowds hear that Jesus is withdrawn to a solitary place. And they're like, let's go find him. And they followed him on foot. 
from the cities. And you're thinking, it's kind of like if you were taking a vacation, right? You went to Hawaii or you went to get away from work, to get away from the stresses of normal life, like we all do when we take vacation. And the people from your work kept calling you, right? Or if you're, if you're uh, in healthcare, your patients actually found out where you were, your resort, the resort in Hawaii, and came to the beach and said, can you help me? I'm dealing with this and dealing with that. You'd be like, what? Go home. Get away from here. Or you were on vacation and your teacher and your students found you and discovered you and said, can you help me with this time? Can you help me read this section? I don't understand it. Explain it. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Jesus is in a solitary place. He's mourning. He's getting away. And the people follow him. And they want to be healed. And they're hungry. And they're thirsting for good news and for the power of God in them. They're starving for it. And what would you do? Right? This is where we talk about boundaries, right? Hello! This is my vacation. Back off. Step back. Right? And the disciples are, you know, they're probably feeling it too. They're like, oh my gosh, here come the crowds. Let's get away. Get away. Let's protect Jesus. Ah, ah, ah. But what does the gospel say? The gospel says, when Jesus arrived and saw the large crowd, he had compassion for them and healed those who were sick. Right? He had an impromptu healing service right there on the spot hey doesn't that just sound tiring (laughs) oh my gosh it's hot you know and i'm on my vacation or i'm on a retreat and people are just coming and i have to touch them and heal them one after another but jesus has compassion and the disciples are like all right that's enough this we're in the middle of nowhere there's no cell reception. It's an isolated place. The people are going to get hungry. There's thousands of them out here. Let's just send the crowds away so that we can go into the, so they can go into the villages and buy food, right? There's, they can go 20 miles to that town over there, get them some KFC or McDonald's or Burger King or Taco Bell. Let's send them away. They're going to starve out here. And Jesus says, don't. They're like, oh my gosh. Because Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. No! I can remember growing up, my father loved to invite people over to the house, after church especially. And my mom, you know, she's not the most hospitable person. Like, she likes her inner sanctum, right? So they had very conflicting personalities. And my dad's always like, yeah, come over after church. We'll feed you. We'll have lunch. And my mom would be so angry. She'd be like, I have to prepare this whole lunch. I'm tired. We just had church for all day. And I got to cook this rice and kimchi and side dishes and feed the whole church. And they'd fight afterwards. My dad just wouldn't understand it. This is our ministry. Why don't you just welcome people? Why don't you have an open heart of hospitality? And she's like, why don't you just communicate and ask me? Why do you got to feed the whole world? Right? And it's like back and forth, back and forth. And so Jesus is saying, you feed them. They're like, no. It's so tiring. And look, their response is, we have nothing. We don't have anything. 
We have nothing here except five loaves of bread and two fish. The disciples are exasperated. They either want to protect Jesus from the crowds or they want to protect their own resources, their own boundaries to send them home. It's getting late. And when Jesus says, you feed them, they respond, we can't feed them. We have nothing. We only have this small amount. And we see this parallel to many call narratives throughout scripture, right? We had Gideon a few weeks ago. God calls Gideon, oh, valiant warrior. But, but, but God, right? God calls, and the person usually says, but, 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 right? But God, I'm the least of the least of the least, right? Moses, the call, Moses, go and free my people, lead them. But God, yada, yada, right? And this is the same. Jesus says, go feed them. And the disciples say, but God, we don't have anything. We don't have enough. Our resources are thin. We don't have enough. We have nothing. But as we know in scripture, God's response to the but God is but God, right? But God did amazing things. But God said, I will be with you till the end of the age. But God says, I will, my presence will be with you. I will help you. We'll get through this. This is an opportunity. In the midst of our, our but gods, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity to come for God to come into that void or the, that lacking and fill it with his abundance and his power. Amen? And his miracles. Um, in this passage, we're also introduced to the unconditional compassion of Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus' cousin has been executed. He is withdrawn to a lonely place. And yet, he sees the crowds and he has compassion on them. Right? He wants them to be fed. He wants to care for them. And the disciples are obsessed with what they don't have, their lack or the inadequacy of their situation. Um, but to Jesus, the numbers don't matter. What matters is the great need that he sees around. Right? The numbers don't matter. It's the need that matters. Because God is the Lord of numbers. Amen? So numbers, he doesn't care about the odds. What he cares about is the number of hungry people. We also see in that command, you feed them, right? It's almost like a sacramental command, right? This, this command, like whenever you see the hungry, you feed them. There are many hungry people in this world. You feed them. And then what does he do with the bread and the fish? He looks up into heaven, breaks the bread and breaks the fish, and they begin to pass it out. Very Eucharistic, right? Eucharist is another name for communion, right? The way that we break the bread 
and take of the body of Christ and drink of the blood of Christ. There's a symbolism of the Eucharist, Christ's body broken for people. And in, in his body breaking, in the breaking, is the feeding of hungry people. Right? And that way you can see the Eucharist of communion, not just as some ritual we do at church, but it's actually um, an act of mercy, compassion, and justice. Right? In the breaking of Christ's body, and in our being the body of Christ, we are Christ's uh, mercy and compassion to a hungry world, to a world hungry for the love of Christ, and to a world that's physically, actually physically hungry and thirsty. One preacher says, with Jesus, the issue isn't how much we have, but how great the need is. Right? Justice, compassion, and mercy are core values to Jesus and the kingdom. And there is enough to feed everyone in the world, right? There is enough to feed everyone in the world, except when greed and injustice deny this, denies this right to people. As Jesus' church, we are called to go feed them. You feed them. That's Christ's command to us. Go and feed the hungry. No matter how big we are, no matter how rich we are, no matter how many people we have, no matter who makes up our core team or leadership, no matter if we have a platform or not, we go and feed with the five loaves and the two fish that we scrounge up from our cupboards, right? From our, the back seats of our car, right? The crumbs. My kids leave French fries all over the back seat. It drives me nuts. Why do I let them eat in the van anyways? We scrounge up all those crumbs, right? And we bring them as our offering to God. And God uses it and God multiplies it. God brings a, makes a miracle happen because Jesus has our back. We move out in faith. Then Jesus has our back. We move out in faith and compassion and grace and mercy and Jesus has our back. He multiplies our offering. Right? He makes things exponential. God has storehouses of rich food and delicacies available to his people. God is the Lord of good grub. And we're, sometimes we're ashamed. We only have this. And look at my home, it's shabby, right? And my utensils don't match, and my plates are different patterns, right? And I've, you know, I think Erica said this, right? Like, they have a Happy Meal, right? To feed 5,000 hungry people, right? They have a Happy, a little kid's meal where big men need to be fed, right? <laughs> and we're like, here you go. Casey comes to my house. Oh, I'm hungry. I'm so hungry. Here you go. Here's a little peanut. <laughs> and I was like, what? That's all I got? God, multiply it. Um, the problem is we step, stop short of conviction. We choose the kingdom of the world, right? The alternative meal, which is 
demonstrated by the meal of Herod and Herod's stepdaughter, right? We choose the kingdom of the world that would beat us down rather than the kingdom of God in its abundance. And so my question to us as a church, as renew, renew, we are renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhoods. And when God renews us, God doesn't do it, you know, half-heartedly. God doesn't bless us with just, like, scraps, right, and little stuff, and, like, you're halfway. He blesses us with abundance. And so we are renewed for the renewal of our neighbors, our neighborhoods, for the people around us. We need to believe that God has a fullness for us, just as he has fullness for us, he has a fullness for everyone around us, and he will use us fully with whatever we have to bless people around us with great abundance. Amen? So my question to us is, what excuses are you giving Jesus? How do you feel inadequate? Or fill in this blank. I'm not blank enough to serve or to do this or that. Or again, fill in the blank. But I only have this or this much. What is that? Where are the places that you feel lacking or insignificant or inadequate? And as you think about those questions and you fill in the blanks, consider this, just as in our story, God can multiply what you have. God can multiply what you have. God can multiply us because God is interested in feeding his people. God wants mercy and justice in this world. Jesus wants to heal the sick around us. Jesus wants to feed us and feed our neighbors. Jesus wants to invite people not over. Jesus desires to create a party, even in the solitary place, right? The solitary wilderness place began, became the party place, right? It was like, what happened? And when the odds are stacked against us, man, that's when God shines, right? so that he can be glorified, so that we can all look back and say, wow, David did that. <laughs> wow, God did that, right? We can look back and say, look at what God did. That's so amazing because we believed and we offered what we had. God loves it when the odds are not in our favor. God loves the short stack. God loves it when the situation is dire, when our strength and resources are meager. God loves to use the least of the least of the least because it's in these situations where kingdom opportunity is maximized, where God is glorified when he comes in power. There will be a day when we sing and praise and shout for thanks because God did it. We had a happy meal, and God brought a feast. Let's pray.
Uh, thank you so much um, for your abundance. Thank you that you love the hungry people. You love us when we're hungry and thirsty and you have compassion for us. And you've been faithful in the past to provide for each and every one of us. You've been faithful to provide for this church, for Renew, um, to sustain us, to feed us, to renew us. We are small. We don't have much to offer. But God, will you use us for your glory so we can look back and tell tales of his great and mighty deeds. We only have to be faithful to have a little courage, to have faith only as big as a mustard seed, and we can move mountains. Be strong and courageous, for tomorrow God will do amazing things in us and through us. Amen.